Well, you've been watching the news. You've seen a lot about Trayvon Martin, who is a young African-American male, about 17 years old, and he was just coming home from the store, bought some Skittles, listening to some tunes, and talking to his girlfriend on a cell phone. And uh, there was a man named George Zimmerman, who was a self-appointed volunteer watch volunteer uh, in the area, who had called uh, the police quite often over the past year or so. And uh, he called 911, and he, he thought that uh, Trayvon was suspicious, and so he chased him down, and we're not sure exactly what happened, but George, Jimerson, George Zimmerman uh, shot Trayvon and killed him, he said, in self-defense. But it doesn't quite seem like uh, all the uh, facts add up. And so, as you've seen on TV, uh, there's all kinds of protests around the nation in relationship to racism and injustice. And uh, it's quite uh, disturbing as we think about it. I was watching one report about an African-American mother who was talking about the fear that she had for her boys who were... 15 and 16, and she was talking about how she interacted uh, with them and coached them about how to operate in society as African-American males. Uh, she told them, you never put your hands in your pockets uh, because that looks suspicious. Uh, when you go into a store, if you're wearing a hood, take it off. Always make sure that you have whatever you're buying visible to everyone and make sure you get a receipt. They won't be thought of as shoplifting. Be very sensitive around uh, Anglo women and keep your distance uh, from them uh, in terms of their suspicions, as well as if you ever get pulled over by a policeman, you call me and let me be a part of that interchange. And it's just kind of like, wow, I never thought about those things before. The fear that she has for her sons, uh, who everything that was reported, they were... Uh, good in school and upstanding kids and again uh, the perception out there uh, the discrimination, the racism had forced her uh, to coach them on how to operate so that people would not misread things because of their racism and it was a real fear that what happened to Trayvon might happen to them someday now, what, a, what an interesting fear. I'd never have thought about that. And really, uh, we have all kinds of fears, don't we? Uh, look across the room here. There's this number of fears here as there are people in the room. Uh, usually they kind of focus around different areas of our life, personal safety, and our family's personal safety is a big one, a fear that we have. Uh, you think about the whole area of uh, health, our personal health, the uh, health of our family and loved ones. And you think about just the general well-being of the people that we love in our lives. And certainly one that continues to uh, come into our lives uh, in different ways is financial concerns and financial worries. It's funny, I was looking at an article in Time, and on the cover, they talked about the recovery that we're going through. 
And, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank the Lord that things are getting better somewhat. But at the same time, there's just a real hesitation and there's just a feeling like, ah, I just don't know if it's going to last because it's up and down in regards to what's happening in our economy. We're just really unsure about the future, about what things are going to be like. In two years, we, we pray and hope they'll be better, but we just don't have a lot of confidence, I guess you could say. Then you think about job security. You have a job, and you've heard that more and more over the years. I'm just glad I have a job. We're not complaining as much about our jobs. We're just glad I have a job. And uh, for those who don't have a job, that, that, that's a real burden. And many of you have walked through that valley and are walking through that valley. And uh, we're praying for you and thinking about you in the midst of that challenge. And then on top of that, it's just like this picture here. <laughs> and especially for those of you who commute, oh, I'm sorry. It's just like watching, you know, money go out the window as you drive down uh, the road, right? That's into discretionary spending. So, yeah, financial fear is a big thing these days. And right now, as a church, we're in the middle of this heartstrong campaign as we renew our vision as a ministry to touch our community in new ways. And uh, we're, again, as a family, coming forward in faith to fund this vision. And certainly the fear of our financial status can impact well, how much am I going to commit over a two-year period beyond what I'm now giving in order to fund the vision that God has given us. Because we need to fund these four things we've talked about so many times, loving God together. Wasn't the worship incredible? Uh, today, oh my, uh, it's wonderful to hear uh, our band and our vocalists leading us uh, to the throne. Uh, love God one-on-one, -on -one, the idea of cultivating a relationship with Christ and having that such a inherent value in our family that we're talking about it all the time. We're talking about it in our small groups. We're talking about it in our services, in one-on-one -on -one conversations, saying, you know, how are you growing? How are you getting to know Jesus better? How are you walking with Him? And then loving our families. Uh, the idea that, first of all, we need to have a healthy marriage and then have a healthy family, healthy parenting. And we need to make all of those relationships Christ-centered. And then loving our community. Just being filled with compassion toward other people. To have our church just activated by a compassionate heart, reaching out in creative ways, reaching out in formal ways, informal ways, just loving people, helping them through uh, this uncertain time and showing them the love of Jesus Christ. So if we really want to maximize our efforts and see God work in a special way, uh, we need to fund this vision. But, again, fear gets in the way when we look toward making our commitments uh, next week. So I just want to talk generally about how fear uh, can really derail us from doing God's will. We look at 2 Timothy 1.7. But the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but makes us, uh, gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So the spirit that God has put within us is not a spirit of fear, 
The Holy Spirit fills us with power and love and self-discipline. We need to face the future with confidence because the Holy Spirit is within us. And God is our Father and Provider. That's how we need to approach it. That needs to be our attitude. Uh, we need to have eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear. And it's so easy to be pulled down to having eyes of fear. Because, you see, when you talk about your life, your problems are not really your problem. Your problems are not really your problem. It's all in your perspective, how you're seeing your problems, how you're perceiving your spouse and your kids and your job and your work. and It's your perception. And if you're looking at your world through fearful eyes, well, everything is going to be a threat. Everything is going to be overwhelming. But if you look with eyes of faith that come through uh, the power of Jesus Christ, you look for opportunities. You look for new ways to rejoice and to thank God and to be able to cope with the challenges that come your way. I want to look at a very well-known passage uh, about the Israelites and how they struggled uh, with fear. You remember they had been released from Egypt by the incredible power of God sending ten miraculous plagues that Again, Pharaoh eventually uh, decided to let the Israelites go. But, I mean, it was an air and water and cosmic show that he put on to convince Pharaoh, and especially the Egyptians, that it's time for the Hebrews uh, to be out of our lives. And so they left. And when they got to the Red Sea, obviously Pharaoh had changed his mind, and the chariots came uh, towards them, and then, of course, God parted the Red Sea for the Israelites, and they went through and then swallowed up Pharaoh's chariots and his men, and uh, then uh, they went down uh, to Mount Sinai. In fact, we can look at a map here. Uh, I can uh, show you how this goes. So they start out here in Egypt, and they travel, and uh, the Red Sea experience, and, and they travel down... This way, and Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments uh, were given. And uh, then uh, they go up to Ezean Geber, and eventually they make it up to Kadesh, where our story takes place uh, today. So this took two years, two years for them to get here. And obviously they weren't uh, going directly there. They stopped, obviously, for periods of time for different reasons. Uh, and that is when uh, the mission of the 12 spies were to go into Canaan, the promised land, to find out exactly what they were up against. So this is where we start. So we look at Numbers 13, 17, and 18. It says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and not into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong and weak. Were many. So 12 spies from 12 different tribes uh, were chosen, and uh, they went together to discover the promised land, do a recon mission, 
to see what they were up against. So we look at Numbers 13:23. When they reached the valley of Eshel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. <laughs> well, wait a second. You got this cluster of grapes. You go in your fridge. You know, you grab a cluster of grapes and you know, kind of snack on them as you walk throughout the house. And, uh, but this particular cluster was so heavy they had to hang it on a pole, and two, not just like one guy putting it over his back, but two guys holding this. This cluster of grapes, I mean, how big really were these grapes? Like the size of watermelon? It's kind of like you bring a grape home from the store. You buy one grape for five bucks, and uh, you cut it up, and, you know, who ate all that grape? <laughs> I mean, just incredible. I can imagine when they brought it back, it was on display for all of the Israelites to see, and everybody was just looking at it saying, I have never seen a grape that big before. And it represented the uh, unbelievable beauty and bounty and all the abundance and uh, fertileness of this land that God had promised them. And uh, so they brought it back in Numbers 13:27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So the idea of milk and honey. Now, milk, uh, they did drink milk in that day, but it wasn't as common as it is today where you can go in a grocery store and buy a lot of gallons of milk if you want. Uh, uh, that day was a little more precious uh, and uh, not as available. And, but, but it was flowing with milk. It was like all over the place. Uh, you had sources of milk and then you had honey, which was uh, kind of the... The sweets of that day was the candy. What kind of candy do you like? How many like Dove chocolate out there? Women. Usually it's women who like Dove chocolate. My wife has a stash uh, that I break into uh, regularly. Um, <laughs> Dove chocolates. Yes, they are good. No doubt about that. Uh, but but it's it, it's kind of like, yeah, this land is filled with, I don't know, whatever your favorite beverages, a Starbucks, Vente, whatever, and... And, and dove chocolates. Uh, I mean, it's just everywhere. And it was symbolic of saying that this is the most fantastic area we've ever seen before. We, I mean, we, we, want, we would like to live there. It's everything that's been passed down orally through the generations about what God has said about the promised land. They knew that God had promised it to them. They were 400 years in slavery, so many of them probably thought, well, when's this happening? But these people were just at the very beginning of the promised land. And at that point, they could have gone in. But, but there were ten spies, the majority. There were two spies that said, hey, it's good, let's go. We'll talk about them in a moment. But there were ten spies that had eyes of fear, eyes of fear. But the people who lived there, they said, in Numbers 13, 28, are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. So you got powerful people. Uh, you've got fortified cities, huge walls that protected uh, these cities. And large cities, big cities. I mean, these, these weren't little forts. These were significant cities. Because they went everywhere. 
I mean, they traveled for 40 days, it says. Probably covered 500 miles. They saw every inch of this promised land. And they saw the really good stuff. What was so beautiful about the land and its fruit and all that it had to offer. But what they really zeroed in on was what they were fearful about. And that's what happens when you look at your life and you have eyes of fear. You don't look at the positive things. You don't look at how God is working in your life. We immediately go to what's not happening, what we're concerned about, what might happen uh, to us. And that's what they did. Uh, the descendants of Anak. Anak was a famous giant, and his descendants also had some height. Uh, so that's what they're saying there. It says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. So ten of them said, no go. I vote no. No way are we going into this land. I know it's the promised land. I know God said that we should have it and everything. But after our survey, there is no possible way that it's going to happen. Now, the fear spread. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. They were telling everybody, all their friends, and it spread like wildfire. You ever notice that? That bad news and, and fearful things spread like nothing else. I mean, people just pick up on fear. They want to know what's going on. And it gets passed along and it gets exaggerated. And that's exactly what happens here. A bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. I mean, really? <laughs> they were still there, weren't they? What, what an interesting uh, turn of phrase. The land devours people. You walk in there, you know, uh, you're going down. All the people we saw there are of great size. Again, these giants, uh, they were very, very intimidated by them. And the thing that is hard for us to understand is that two years, two years they had been with the Lord in the desert. God had freed them again from Egypt. God had brought the most powerful nation on earth to its knees. And the Hebrews walked out and everybody gave them all their uh, precious jewels and just get out of here. Take anything you want. That's what God had done through these plagues. And, and then He had you know, saved them across the Red Sea and given the Ten Commandments and was present with them through the fire and through the, the pillar of uh, cloud and God was with them. They had seen all of this, the manna being provided, the quail. And when they get to the promised land and they run into some super tall people in some big cities, they say, what are we going to do? We're going to die. There's no... What did they miss? Did they think God had checked out on them at that point? That God was not going to be a part of this? And as always... When I was younger, I used to be much more judgmental of the Israelites. You know, I was idiots. You know, they'd God right there for Pete's sake. <laughs> Those disciples. I mean, Jesus was right there, right in front of them. Come on. <laughs> well, we are so much like them, aren't we? You know, God just does incredible things in our lives and provides for us. And as soon as a problem comes along, uh, instead of looking at eyes of faith, when we can't figure it out for ourselves, we just turn right to fear. And we start to think, oh, no, 
uh-oh, this is not good. This is going to cause pain in my life, pain in the life of my family. And we just start to roll with it. And that's exactly what happened here. Number 1333, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. When was the last time you saw a grasshopper? Yeah, a grasshopper. Now put your head on that grasshopper, okay? <laughs> grasshopper. Now let's say that you're that grasshopper, okay? And you're sitting out there in the walkway as we leave the building after the service. What are you going to do? If you're sitting there on the sidewalk sunning yourself and you see all these giants walking towards you. If I'm a grasshopper, I'm out of there, okay? I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I want to go hide because I don't want these people stepping on me. Even worse, I don't want some, you know, seven-year-old coming along and doing an experiment on my body. I've heard from my relatives that that kind of thing goes on, you know? I mean, I am out of here. And so what they do is they go hide somewhere until all the people are gone. And that's exactly what we do in life. You know, we're, we're grasshoppers. We, we see ourselves as grasshoppers, and we assume that everybody else who's out there trying to hurt us, they also see us as grasshoppers, very easily uh, stepped upon and mutilated. Uh, and, and that's the perception that we have. And you see, even though God had done all these incredible things before the Israelites' eyes, they still had a slave mentality. Remember, they, they were all slaves. They all grew up in slavery years and years and years. And they still had a slave mentality. They thought, we can't do this. I mean, God had done all that other stuff. I mean, we didn't do it. God did it. But we, we just can't do it. And, and friends, when we approach challenges in our life, we so easily go back to a slave mentality, being a slave of sin being a slave of our weakness, a slave of our inferiority, a slave of what we, who we think we are and, and what we can do. And, and our eyes are totally off God. You know, We're not looking at Jesus Christ anymore. We're looking at the problem. And the more we look at the problem, the more upset we become and we hide, we retreat, we go into cover, we, we go into the bunker, we, we do everything we can to... Try to provide uh, protective elements around us. We ensure everything that we have. Uh, we become very conservative in life because we think that things are going down, they're going bad, and it all is up to us. And we're not thinking about God at all. And that's when you have eyes of fear and you're consumed with fear and you feel like a grasshopper in the midst of your circumstances. And, and now they really kick into it in Numbers 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. This is more common back in that day, kind of like a wailing uh, party when people were really upset about something. So they just they kind of fed on each other's fears. They just really started to exaggerate things. Uh, they were just incredibly uh, discouraged and all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. So when, when you start to spiral with a fearful orientation, 
you start to blame other people, right? Because it's not your fault. How could it be my fault? <laughs> Me. <laughs> so it's got to be my spouse's fault. It's got to be my uh, child's fault. It's got to be my boss's fault. Uh, you know, whoever I can find. Obama's fault, it's this person's fault, you know. We have all kinds of people to blame. But friends, we really should blame ourselves if we get caught up in that cycle of fear in our lives. Because it's our responsibility not to have eyes of fear, but to have eyes of faith. So whenever you start to grumble a lot, there's a good chance that you're caught up in a fear cycle. Then it goes into high gear in Numbers 14. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? So God brought us, God, God rescued us from Egypt. And he took care of us in the desert over a two-year period just to let us die. You see, when fear is overtaking your mind, you just don't think straight. You're just, you're just overcome. Our wives and children would be taken as plunder, which was common back in that day, so they thought that it would happen with these giants. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, that's the best idea I've seen yet. Okay. What were they doing in Egypt? They were slaves. They had slave masters who in the most recent experience because of Moses' intervention had worked them almost to death. They had to make their own materials. And why would they ever want to go back to Egypt? Why would they ever want to go back to slavery? Because they were consumed and overwhelmed with fear. Fear had control of them, and therefore they were just losing it. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had something to eat there. At least we knew that we were going to suffer in a certain way. Hopefully we could stay alive back in Egypt. Oh. Friends, we all need to work on this because we all have fear spirals that we fall into, and, and some people more than others. I'm really good at this, really. I mean, if you have a fear spiral going on, stop by after the service. And uh, I'll make it worse. I will. You lay out the situation. And I'll say, oh, wait a second. Hold on here. You haven't really thought this out. Now let's talk about what could happen here. Let's talk about this person. Let's talk about uh, your job. Okay? You know, and and you, they're going to have to drag you out of this church after I get done with you. Because, man, I am so creative in creating fear and thinking about fear. I mean, I've been doing it for a long time, you know. Right? Is that any way to live? Of course not. We're children of God. God is our dad. God is our creator. And we, we should not be falling into spirals of fear. And I want to make something very clear that, that so many times get, gets lost in uh, many churches and TV ministries, uh, the idea is that you go with God and your life is going to get better. That's not what the Bible teaches. You go with God and God is going to be there for you. He's going to 
comfort you. He's going to help you have eyes of faith. He's going to help you cope with whatever issues that come your way. You're going to find a deep satisfaction and joy of knowing why you're here on earth. But there's no guarantees your life is going to get better. In fact, many times after a person follows Christ, their life gets worse. Sorry. That's the Word of God. Okay? So there are some of you who are going through some really difficult times right now, and you're saying, where is God? And He's right there with you. Might have somebody dying here today. Somebody has some type of illness. There's no cure to it. Where's God in that? Well, God's with you. And what God promises you is that if you have eyes of faith, that He is going to give you new mercies every morning. He's going to provide for you. He's going to give you emotional, physical, and spiritual strength to cope with whatever illness or whatever situation you're going through. And things might not get better, but you're going to be able to walk with Him and find a deeper relationship with Him. And that is the truth of the Gospel. That you're going to have a a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, friends, if if you're struggling right now, if you're going through a tough time in your marriage and your health and a relationship with a child and whatever, um, you cannot afford to drain your energy on fear. And fear will suck you dry. Because that's the way people are. They just keep following the fear spiral. And they think that's productive in some way. It's not. It drains you of any energy, any hope, any love, any everything you need goes down the toilet when you're in a cycle of fear. And some of you are in a cycle of fear right this second. In fact, you're ticked at me because I'm talking so much about it because you continue to cycle further down even as I talk. Even as I present the Word of God to you, your pulse is racing, you're sweating, you're thinking, oh yeah, how am I going to solve that problem? Stop it! Stop the cycle. And if you can't stop the cycle, say, Jesus, help me stop the cycle. It's, I, I've been in the cycle so long. It's so much a part of my mind. I can't stop. I can't stop worrying. I can't stop being anxious. I can't stop being overcome by fear. Lord, show me how to stop. Show me how to slow down the fear cycle. Because... I want to have eyes of faith. I want to see you in every situation. I want to discover a deeper relationship with you. And God will do that because He promises that He will do that. We want to be like, of course, Caleb and Joshua, the two spies. That's what Caleb says. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Wow, where's this guy coming from, right? These ten people coming back. They got the whole nation. The whole nation's a basket case because of these ten guys and the stories that they're passing on about how terrible this place is. And Caleb comes back. This is before they even spoke. He says, hey, hey, it's all good. It's all good. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, he wasn't saying we. He was saying God. And certainly do it. We've got no challenges here. And 
you know, Caleb's just, you know, if he's having a conversation with some of these people who are freaking out, saying, hey, Egypt, slavery, Red Sea, manna, quail, what are you missing? We have an awesome God and you've forgotten about it. He's seeing it with eyes of faith. These are the kind of eyes that we want to have. And, and Moses, he has eyes of faith. He tries, he's reflecting back on the experience in Deuteronomy. He's reteaching uh, the law. And so he's kind of doing some reminiscing here. And then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. He's saying, God got you out of Egypt and God's going to help you in this situation before your very eyes and in the desert. Then you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Ah. That's a verse you need to meditate upon if you're going through a tough time. That really is kind of the inspiration maybe for Footprints in the Sand, right? You know that old poem? You know, God was carrying the Israelites like a father carries a son. Moses is saying, think about it, guys. He's taken care of you for two years. And he wants you to have the promised land. And, and you don't want to go in? And they decided as a nation not to go in. It's probably one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. Proverbs 14:30. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. These two guys were going to make it in. Everybody else was going to die in a 38-year purposeless journey in the wilderness. And friends, that's the fear that I have for myself and for you. But if we continue to live with eyes of fear in our lives, we're going to miss so many things that God wants to do, so many ways that God wants to show up if we'll just put our faith in Him. And we'll just we'll hunker down, we'll, we'll try to protect ourselves. And think, oh, this is a way to live. Yeah, I got to control. I got to control everything. And instead of really stepping out in faith and having eyes of faith, and uh, there are so many Christ followers who have lived a life that is just so shallow because it's been a life filled with fear. They've removed God from their experience. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Every day we need to pray, God, give me eyes of faith. We get eyes of faith. We get a new set of eyes when we become a Christian. Jesus Christ was talking to Nicodemus Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see, when a person becomes a Christ follower, they're given spiritual eyes, and they see the world in a totally new way. They see God in a totally new way, and it's like, wow, incredible. You know, but the problem is, is that many Christ followers, their eyes never grow any wider or any deeper because they just become a Christ follower and do the minimum and never cultivate that dynamic relationship with Jesus. And they end up, uh, end up empty. And they live life like anybody else on this earth. 
That's so sad. It's like wandering in the wilderness until you die. And God wants you to experience the promised land. But you're too afraid to trust Him. Don't you want to experience the promised land? Don't you want to experience the way life God intended it to be? Like about 50 years ago during the space program, a cosmonaut from Russia went up, first one around the world. And he said, I looked for God everywhere, and I searched the heavens, and I didn't find God. I didn't see Him. Therefore, there is no God. All the atheists cheered. But three weeks later, John Glenn went up. He was a Christ follower, and he went around the world three times. And that's what he said. I saw God everywhere. I felt His presence, His glory. I felt Him with me. I saw Him everywhere. Friends, when you approach life walking with Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, just praying for the eyes of faith, You're going to see God everywhere. Even in the midst of your pain. Even in the midst of your despair. God is still there. God is still comforting you. God is still watching over you. Even in the midst of your sinful rebellion, God is still there waiting for you to come back to Him. It's interesting when Joshua finally does go into the promised land, 38 years later, and he leads the people. Uh, in Joshua chapter 1, and they're getting ready to go into Jericho and take that city. Uh, four or five different times, God says this. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So here we have you know, Joshua, a great leader, who had lived with Moses most of his life, followed him, been his right-hand man. And he was a little bit nervous. <laughs> hey, we're all nervous, okay? We're all a little jumpy about life. And I tell you, if you're struggling right now with courage, you memorize this verse, you meditate it, you chew on it, you make it your own, you let the Spirit speak to you through it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Again, Hebrews 11:6. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Friends, we want to have eyes of faith at Springbrook. And... You know, as we look toward this heart-strong vision, you know, my eyes of faith see many things. Uh, The worship that we had here today, that was what I see. Just a band that was uh, so excited about worshiping you, who gave their full hearts in worshiping you, Their talents were used to encourage us and to uh, uplift us. People in our production booth, uh, fully engaged, working hard. You know, we got a new drum shield here. Anybody notice that? That's a full enclosure there. So that's what I'm talking about. Little things like that, just maturing our worship, not just physically, but really where the maturity needs to take place is with you and me and, and how we come into the service, how we engage with the music, how we listen to the message, how we respond. That really is 
our vision is that we would take this whole experience that you and I have every weekend and just keep letting the Lord move it up to the next level. And we walk away and say, wow, that was just really different. That was <laughs> that was new, right? Or, or worshiping God one-on-one. Um, my eyes of faith see us again constantly talking about our, our one-on-one time with God, constantly learning from one another. How do we do it, you know? How do we experience Him? How do we go deeper? How do we really make Jesus Christ the center of our lives? How do we walk with Him knowing that He is in control? Uh, we, we, we're going to have a great time exploring that as a, a congregation as we move forward. And then, you know, loving our families. I just at this Art of Marriage seminar that we have coming up, the video seminar on April 13th and 14th, uh, Friday. And Saturday, I encourage you to sign up today. Uh, our child care is uh, getting full, so if you want your child a part of that, uh, being cared for, uh, sign up today. But, uh, boy, I tell you, I just, you know, I, I just see a room full of people, of, of couples who want to grow, couples who really are on the rocks, couples who have a good marriage, but they want to take it to the next level. And, and that's just the first thing we're going to do. And then we'll have other seminars and workshops and retreats, whatever, you know. And just that, you know, we're, we're going to be constantly reminding you about the quality of your marriage, the quality of your parenting, and how it reflects God and who it is and who He is. And then, then uh, the whole issue of, uh, or the whole area of uh, loving our community. And I'm looking so much forward. I just uh, get excited when I think about how uh, committed and how uh, active we're going to be in compassion ministries, helping people out where they're at, especially in these difficult days in our nation, uh, loving people, uh, experiencing what it means to show compassion, not just formal compassion ministries, but to have it so much a part of our body that we just naturally do it. We just do more compassion than we've ever done before with our neighbors and uh, people we come in contact with that God brings along our way. That's our vision. That's what we're looking for. And one of the, so This process, we've been understanding the vision over the last month. And now we go to the next step, and that is owning the vision. Uh, the first step is financially. You know, usually, most things that are really uh, satisfying in life, you have to fund. You have to put resources behind make it happen. And that's what we're talking about to this hard, strong vision. So I just want to talk uh, to those of you who are here, who are part of the family at Springbrook, uh, and also our Christ followers. There are some of you who are here that are guests. There are some of you here uh, who have attended Springbrook, but you haven't crossed that line of faith, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You're still kind of checking things out. You know, what is this all about? This does not pertain to you. Okay? But for those of you who do know Jesus and call Springbrook, your home, I want to talk to you about uh, this next week because next week is our Commitment Sunday. Uh, we're going to be bringing our commitment cards uh, to uh, the church. and You can grab one in the back if you don't have one. And uh, we're going to fill these out. And I just really want to encourage you to prayerfully, you pray and get together uh, with your family and pray and really consider what your commitment is going to be above and beyond 
uh, what you're currently giving to Springbrook over the next 24 months to fund our HeartStrong vision. And, uh, you know, when you look at it, you know, you think, okay, this is what I can afford. And you say, okay, this is what I can sacrifice. I can cut back in this area, you know, put out that vacation, whatever, you know, God leads you to do. But, but here's a critical question, guys, is how much faith am I going to exhibit or uh, how much faith am I going to have in God that he's going to show up here? And Lori and I have dialogued about this. and uh, It's a faith move on our part. We don't, I don't know where the money's coming from that we're going to commit uh, to this campaign. Life is expensive, right? And so... We're going to take that step, and we're going to just pray. Lord, provide the funds. We want to see you show up. You see, if you can give a gift where you know where the money's coming from, that's not a faith gift, is it? <laughs> it's like, okay, well, yeah, we can take this money and that money. No, that's not a faith gift. Uh, and, 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 and we want 100% participation. If you only can give $5 a week, you know, just do that. Just do that. Give $5 a week. And if that... If that's a faith gift for you, well, that's wonderful. You know, it doesn't matter how much you give. It's your heart. It's, it's, it's exercising faith and saying, God, I could have a fearful attitude toward this. I could do it with eyes of fear and saying, I don't have enough money right now. I can't give any more to the church, uh, to the ministry that God has at Springbrook. But then you need to say, well... What faith do I have that God is going to provide more resources, creative resources? I mean, when you start giving things to God, He starts doing uh, tremendous things. And and so, what am I doing in that way? And so, we have a goal of six hundred thousand dollars, and that'd be great if we could exceed it. But if it comes in under that, I mean, whatever God gives us, you know, my my heart passion is that this would be a spiritual growth experience for you. I've been talking with a lot of people, and they've talked about how these campaigns are catalysts, you know, how God has used these campaigns in their lives to help them realize, you know, how God wants to be honored. Because, again, our money reflects our values, our treasure follows our heart, the Bible says. And uh, so as you think through it, you think, okay, you know, Maybe God is, is calling me at this time to obey Him in tithing. You know, 10% gross goes to Him first, first fruits. You know, I give to Him first, acknowledging that He is He's the source of everything, you know. And I personally believe the Bible teaches that, you know, 10% is kind of like a minimum starting point. And, and, and so I am going to go to the tithe, and that's going to take a lot of faith if you're being led in this way, Okay. But I tell you, God's going to bless you incredibly if you take that step of faith. Or maybe you've been stuck at the tithe for 10 years, and uh, God talks about the fact it's just not the tithe, and that's kind of a starting point. You want to be a grace giver. You want to give to Him uh, just as He blesses you. So you might want to move to 11%, 12%, whatever, you know. It's between you and God. But the only thing I ask of you, is that faith be involved. Faith be involved. And that you take ownership of this vision together, that we grow together as a body through this experience. And then as we live it out over the next few years and into the future, that He'll just uh, bless us in incredible and new ways and work in new ways within our family. Uh, yeah. 
be praying this week. In fact, we have our concert of prayer this weekend. It's going to be Friday and Saturday. Uh, and from 5 p.m. to 5 p.m., you take a half hour. In fact, you can take this insert out here. And uh, again, sign up for one of the times. We'd love everyone to pray for a half hour. And uh, we'll email you what to pray for. You can come to the church here during that period. It will be open for those 24 hours. Uh, for some reason, we've had trouble uh, getting people from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. I'm not sure why that is. But, uh, you know, uh, if you feel so led, <laughs> you know, we'd like to fill in every uh, segment um, and just give that time over to God. Have your daily office and, and pray for our ministry together that God would visit us in a special way, a way that he's never uh, been with us before. And then next week is Commitment Sunday. And if you're not going to be here, uh, if you could mail that in, that'd be great before next Sunday. Uh, also, then on Easter, we're going to have First Fruits, and that's when we bring our, our, our best, our first and best gift to the Lord. So now some of you just, you know, are going to pay weekly based on your income, but some of you have resources that you can tap into. Uh, and so give the majority of your gift up front so we can accelerate the use of these resources to touch uh, people. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this journey that we're on. Thank you for uh, how people have engaged and listened and are praying. And I pray for all my friends here as they uh, think through how you would lead them to give. And I pray that it would be out of faith. That's the only thing I ask for, that there be a faith element in their gift. Because I want them to grow spiritually. I want them to know you in a deeper way. In Christ's name. If we could have our ushers come forward at this time, we are going to uh, gather our offerings.